We are in a new series called Nehemiah, and it's about the book of Nehemiah. And uh, this takes place at about 600 B.C. And uh, just to give you some background of what's going on, uh, so remember we were talking about Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Those were three uh, types of works that uh, Song of Solomon was in charge of. Either he wrote them or he collected them or what have you. And so we had his. He was a great king. He was the wisest man that ever lived. And he ruled well for a time. And then he began to get things a little bit off the rails. And when his son took over, Israel was divided in half. His son was uh, not very great. And so you had uh, the north, which was Israel, and the south, which was Judah. And so what had happened was they began to, they're split, and they began to worship idols. And they began to focus on not the things of God, but the things of their own prosperity and the things of their own liking. Okay, so I don't know if this sounds familiar to anybody, but this is, this is what they were doing, right? They were getting their, their, their uh, meaning and purpose outside of Yahweh. And so God put up with it for a time, and then they were disciplined. And the way they were disciplined was the Babylonians came at three separate occasions to Judah and grabbed their elites and drug them off to Babylon and taught them how to be good Babylonians. So the first time they came, if you read the Bible and you read about um, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? You got those three. And Daniel, they were from the first wave. And then the Babylonians came back for a second wave and the Babylonians came back for a third wave. Okay, this is just a little history lesson real quick. What happened after that was the Persians took over the Babylonians. And so all those Jews that were in there, uh, the, the Persians took and said, hey, if you want to go home, go for it. And so they started going back to Israel. And so what was happening was reports were going about, you know, they hadn't been there for 70 years. And so they go back, maybe they go back to their, their house. So maybe they were a little kid when they were growing up and they go back to their house and it's destroyed. The walls are destroyed. The temple is destroyed. Everything's in ruins. So that's where we find Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. Now, what's interesting about the book of Nehemiah, and uh, we'll get to it a little bit more this morning, is that there's no miracles in the book of Nehemiah. A matter of fact, God doesn't even speak in the book of Nehemiah. It's just the story about a man whose heart was broken and he had a vision and he followed through that vision. And the reason we go through that, uh, we're going through this book, is because that really describes a lot of us. We have a vision for our life, we have a plan for our life. Something has broken our heart or something is igniting our heart. And we, we want to walk in integrity. We want to walk in discipline. We want to walk in these things to see God move in our lives and to see the outcome of that. Maybe for you, it's your kids. And maybe, maybe, maybe for you, you, you have this, uh, just this little inspiration. You're married and you're together and everything's cool. And all of a sudden you think, I think it's time for, for us to have kids. And you both kind of have this little spark. And then the process starts of trying to have kids, and maybe that is a heartbreaking process. 
Maybe you try and you try and you try and it's just not happening. Maybe you've, you've, you've tried, you've lost a couple along the way and it can be very heartbreaking. Maybe for you, it's just, it's like, man, we said we wanted to have kids and we have kids and it's all great. But all through that, no matter how the process works, what we want to do as followers of Jesus is be people that can listen to the voice of God to guide us and direct us and to see if these little ideas, these little glimpses, become a reality. Next week, I'll be talking to you about uh, the day I sat up in the second story of this building over here, and I looked down over our property, and it looked like a piece of junk. We had a a plot of grass that was surrounded by a prison fence, and then we had this alley that went through it. And, uh, and, and when, you'd, when you'd bring your kids to church, basically we'd say, go down to the dumpsters and make a right. That's where your kids are going to be, right? And so there was this glimpse of like, it shouldn't be like this, right? And then it was a four-year-long process of people being generous and casting vision and all these things to have the campus that we have now. That was just one little example, and we'll talk again a little bit more about it next week, about what happens when this happens. Now, I want to give you a little bit of warning this morning. All week long, I have been praying and processing and trying to figure out how I can say what I'm about to say this morning Uh, without angering a lot of you, without shaming some of you, without you thinking I'm pointing you out. I am not. I am trying to make this as gentle as possible. But if you don't get this point that I'm trying to make this morning, you're going to miss the whole book of Nehemiah. Okay? So just be patient with me. No, I love you. No, I don't care what anyone believes about anything. I am just sharing the word of God as I see it, and I'm sharing the word of God as I see it juxtaposed to where the church is today and where I think culture is today. Okay? Okay, here we go. Nehemiah chapter 1. So what's happened is Nehemiah was one of those Jews I was talking about. And he worked in the palace, and we'll see a little bit later where he worked, but he worked in the palace of a king called Artaxerxes. He was the Persian king that had taken over the Babylonians. And he, um, he was the one that said all the Jews can go back. Well, some Jews came back to Nehemiah, and Nehemiah said, how's everything in Jerusalem? How's it going in Jerusalem? Like, you guys are back. Like, what does it look like? How, how are the walls? How's, the, how's the, um, uh, the, the temple? And they don't have any good news for him. They say the, 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 the walls have been burned by fire. The temple is destroyed. And everyone is very distressed. Here's what they say. Nehemiah 1.3. They said to me, the remnant there, these are the ones that have come back, in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Here's what happens to Nehemiah and here's what happens to us when we hear something like this. And it could be anything. It could be a school shooting. It could be anything that's going on. It could be a, a, the Ohio toxic spill. It could be any of these things. He says, when I heard these words, I sat down, he just sits down, and he wept and mourned for days. You ever have that happen to you? 
Maybe it's something you hear in the news. Maybe it's a diagnosis that you got. Or that even worse, a lot of times, a loved one got. Sometimes when our loved one gets wounded or injured or something, we, we wish it could happen to us. Like We don't want to see them go through that. If you have a child that has, is diagnosed with something, you just say, Lord, give it to me. I'll take it, right? And so you sit and you weep for days. Maybe and now in our social media and with the way we have the news and the way our culture is set up, that um, unless it, uh, if it bleeds, it leads, like the more, the more toxic it is, the more outrageous it is, the more, the more in your face it is. And, and we're not designed to be able to handle all that. Like we can't take all that. I can't take a school shooting, a toxic spill, a war in Ukraine, all these things. And I can't feel for all of it the way I'm intended to feel for it. A school shooting comes and goes. Two days max goes in the news cycle. Maybe 12, 15 little kids die. And we say, we got to do something. We got to do something. We got to do something. Hey, guess what happened? A train derailed. Oh, on to the next thing. We, we just can't feel it. We can't take it all in. So what I want to teach you is something that I've worked in my own life for decades on that I think is one of the keys to managing our life in Christ and being able to focus on the things that God has you building in your life, that God has you changing in your life. It comes from seven habits of highly effective people, <laughs> okay? You're like, John, this is an outrage. I came here for the Bible. I, I promise we're going to get to the Bible, and I promise that this is scriptural. And I'll give you the scripture real quick. He who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. That is Jesus. Okay, so this is just another way to say that. It's called the circle of influence and the circle of concern. All of us have a circle of concern. Here it is, okay? So shootings, terrorism, immigration, politics, uh, Y2K, remember that? I'm going to go after you. If, you. if you went after Y2K, I'm going after you this morning, so cover your ears. Gangs, millennials, ooh, uh, kids, friends, health, retirement, injustice, all these things. All these things are concerns, and they're all valid. They're all valid. Climate change, uh, the Da Vinci Code, uh, pandemic, all these things, right? We get all these little things. We're chasing after all these. They're terrible, or they're wonderful, or they're so important. Isn't Everything in here is important. I'm concerned about all these things. But I can only influence so much. I can only influence maybe on the outer time, like terrorism. I'm, I'm running the other way. I'm not, I, I can't fight terror. I don't know what I'm doing. All right. So here's my, here's a circle of influence. It touches your kids. It touches your marriage, extended family, friends, health, retirement, your job. Like you can influence the people at your job. You can influence your kids. You can certainly influence your marriage. You can influence your friends and relationship. That's your circle of influence. Now, what Jesus says, faithful with little, faithful with much, means that to the extent you influence this well, the way you do this well, your circle of influence grows. In other words, if you raise three really well-adjusted, healthy kids or two kids or even one well-adjusted kid, people begin to say, what did you do for that kid? And you say, well, we, we got them in a church community. We, we you know, taught them the principles that Jesus taught. You, know, you, you begin to influence other people. In our case, 
you know, two out of three ain't bad, okay? And so uh, that was just for my son. He knows I'm always giving him a hard time. Uh, he's a great kid, right? So that's what happens. So your circle of influence grows, and so maybe in your job, you, you're really pressing in. You are a person of integrity. You work hard. You're responsible. You're doing these things. You are focused on your circle of influence. And so you get promoted. And now you have people under you or people you manage or whatever we say now. Like these different people that you can influence. And maybe now, instead of the economy, you're now fighting for your workers' rights to increase their wages. So you're not thinking outside the you know, politics of a, a, a minimum wage for California or whatever that you'll never change. You're now helping your employees get fair benefits and fair wages. Your circle of influence has grown. Now you can, you know, you're really working on your health. Now your health is getting better. And now you're helping those around you. You ever do that? You ever lose five, 10 pounds? And someone says, what did you do? That's what they ask you every time. What are you doing? That's awesome. You look great. Oh, I'm doing this diet or these exercises. Or um, I turns out if you eat Twinkies, it doesn't go well for you. And so I stopped, you know, whatever it is. Now you're influencing them, right? And so the, the idea, the vision God has for you and I is that we are just so focused in our circle of influence that it grows and grows and grows. And soon you find yourself influencing all those around you. And you say, John, I don't want to influence immigration, schools, gangs, millennials. That's not my point. That's not my point. Here's my point. When you focus on your circle of concern and you don't have any way to deal with it, this is what happens to your circle of influence. When you start talking about all these things on the outside and you have passionate ideas of how the country should be run and how all these things are supposed to be happening. And if you're on the right, you're telling me for hours about QAnon. And if you're on the left, you're telling me hours about the Russian collusion and you're going on and on and on. No one wants to listen to you. You say, John, I got plenty of people who want to listen to you. It's because you're in a bubble. You're in the bubble of people who like to talk about that, that think they're solving the world's problems, and you're not. And here's why I'm concerned about it. As far as you and your circle of influence, whatever, however you want to live your life is fine. But it is affecting your testimony. Because if someone doesn't want to hear you talk about Y2K, remember Y2K? So this is what happened to me. I had people around me that I loved dearly, that spoke into my life. And Y2K hit, and I just happened to be in tech at the time. Uh, before I was a pastor, I was in business, and I did a lot of technology. That was my lane. And I was trying to explain to them that we've already solved Y2K, that I was already writing algorithms. I'm a small, little person that doesn't know anything about computers, and I was already writing code that had to project 30 years it was solved. I solved it in my little thing. You don't think banks solved it? Come on. So I talked to them. They're prepping. They're buying 55 gallons of water. And again, if this is you, I told you in the beginning, I'm not coming after you. I, that's, I'm just saying, I got to come up with an example. So I went back a long time ago. It was a long time ago. All is forgiven. 55-gallon drums of water, dried foods, all this stuff. Guess what happened to you when you did that? Nobody wanted to listen to you anymore. 
because it didn't happen, and you invested all that time, all that energy, all that language, all that research, and now you lost them. Your circle of influence went, and they just went, oh, yeah, they don't, don't bring up Y2K. Do not ever bring up Y2K. Now, again, I, I've, I've been trying all week to say this in a way that doesn't point anybody out, but we all do this. All of us, I do it. I do it. I'm preaching to me. I tell you every week, when I preach a sermon, I preach to me. I'm telling myself this week, next week, the week after, can you affect it? Then stop talking about it. John, are you, are you going to do something about this? No. Then stop talking about it. Stop wasting your time looking after it. You're not, ask, you're not invited to the table, John. Okay, no one's asking you <laughs> about... A, a toxic spill and how to deal with rail workers. No, no one's asking me that. Okay. So this is why I had to start with this is because Nehemiah, the whole book is about a man, or we could say a woman, if, if in our case, men and women, it doesn't matter that God, something sparked in them and they addressed that thing. They didn't just sit there and go, and the Babylonians, gosh, I hate those Babylonians. This is why we should not have Babylonians leading anything ever. They messed it up. They messed up Jerusalem. And then the Persians take over. They're no better. I hate Persians. We need Jews leading everything. That would be the best way. That's not what Nehemiah does. Watch. So here we go. All right, let me do two quick New Testament verses, and we'll go back to the Old Testament. I changed Ephesians 2.10. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. But I changed it to, to, so it would say what our culture wants it to say. What I believe the Christian church wants it to say. Here's what it says, or what it doesn't say. For we are his workmanship. This Greek word is poem. We are his poem. He is writing us out. He looks at us. We're so created in Christ Jesus. Woo! For right beliefs that we would be on the right side of every issue. Amen. That's not what it says, okay? Some of you are looking at me like, wow, that verse is awesome. I'm going to memorize that. Okay, no. That's not what it says. This is what it says. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works to do. To do. Not to argue, not to be right, not to figure out how to fight the war in Ukraine, okay? No, you're not... Told to figure that out, good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Circle of influence. Forget the war in Ukraine. How's your marriage? How are your kids doing? How am I doing in my job? How am I walking in integrity? Am I, am I marginalizing people in my life? Forget racism. Am I racist? Forget Privilege? Am I overly privileged? Like, how does this affect me? Forget minimum wage and, and the economy and all that. If I manage people, am I treating them with dignity? Or are they just tools for me to get a better Christmas bonus? That's what this verse means. We are his workmanship. We are his poem. We're his craft. And we are created in Christ Jesus for good works that we may walk in them. Tomorrow, what's going to happen? Okay. So I stole half of this from another pastor, but uh, I made up the first half. So uh, you can do it, it what you want. But what God initiates, 
And those little things that happen, when you, when you see, and, and, and let me just be clear, you might see something in Ukraine or at the border or something that breaks your heart. And, and your job is to pray, and your job is to be concerned, and your job is to um, go before him. But what God initiates, he also orchestrates. And so if he's initiated this in you, there's going to be a next step and a next step and a next step and a next step. He's not going to do like our culture does. I want you to be scared about that, outraged about that, fearful about that, fearful about that. Okay, those are gone. Now, be scared about this one, fearful about this one, be outraged about this one. He doesn't do that. What he initiates, it's like, man, this is not leaving my brain. Like, there's really something about this issue that I need to invest my life into. And then all of a sudden, I wonder what it would look like for me to get involved in this bigger thing. Is there, a, is there a group I can join? Is there some way I can give? Is there something I can do? Well, God initiates, he orchestrates. So if you have this thing and you feel sad or you feel outraged and you're like, never again will this ever happen. If it just goes away, it's probably not the Lord. It's probably just your sense of justice that was created in you by God, knowing right from wrong and you know, pain and, understand, and empathy. Those are all important. But God keeps it going. Watch. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. So there's a news cycle right there. I met, wept and mourned for days. Oh, but he, he has a next step. Because what God initiates, he orchestrates. And watch what his next step is. And this step is so vital for us as we get into our culture and we're bombarded every day with bad, 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 bad. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. That's how I know right away that God's doing something. And let me just really tell you real quick something about fasting and praying. When you fast and pray, you are not twisting God's arm. He's not like, well, I wasn't going to get you a house. Oh, you're fasting? Okay, 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 I'll get you a house. Oh, I'll get you a husband. I, I promise. Okay, 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 just stop fasting. It's hurting me, right? That's not how it works. When we fast and pray... What we do is we get into alignment, we end up in a posture of hearing and receiving what God would have us to do next. So when Jesus fasted and prayed in the desert for 40 days, he didn't, he wasn't trying to force his heavenly father to say, you know, he wasn't saying, I want to start a ministry. I'm going to fast, and at the end of 40 days, God will give me a ministry. No, he was in the, he, God had already ignited to, into him. You are going to be ministering. So he goes, right after he's baptized, he goes into the desert. I need to get aligned with my heavenly father. I need to hear from him. I need to be in a posture of, what would you have me do next? That's what fasting and praying does. It takes away the things we would normally do, like eating, like all of a sudden our stomach growls and we want to eat, right? It, it takes that away and says our stomach growls and we want to pray. Our stomach growls and we want to be before him. Our stomach growls and we say, I need to listen to the Lord. Because oftentimes, if you're like me, especially like me, if my stomach growls, I want to get some food, <laughs> okay? But it's a reminder already created in us. If you fasted something for Lent, something other than um, food, maybe you fasted some uh, social media, and all of a sudden you grab your phone and you're like, I wonder what's going on. You're like, no, I fasted it, right? That time, you're like, Lord, instead of that, 
I'm going to go to the Living Spring app and read our daily readings. Okay, no. Fasting and praying before God of heaven. This automatically indicates to me, Nehemiah isn't just outraged and upset and is waiting for the next group of news to, so that he can affirm his belief that the Persians and the Babylonians are bad people. It's not what he's doing. Watch what he says. This is really important. So he goes before God in prayer. He said, I beseech you, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. This is so important as we begin to get these little ignitions in our heart of maybe I should do something. Maybe I should say something. Maybe I should um, bring something, some type of offering, something to God. What is happening in me? Nehemiah prays and, and basically reminds himself of who God is. Of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keeps his commandments. So he says, God, I'm coming before you. You are a great and awesome God. And I know you are faithful and I know you are good. And, and you could almost kind of pull out of this to your own prayer or my own prayer. God, I know that um, uh, you see these things that are happening around us. And it breaks your heart as well as it breaks mine. But then he goes one step further. And this is why I talk about your circle of influence and your circle of concern. He prays to God of heaven, and then he goes right to his circle of influence, right to who he is. He says, we have sinned against you. So, so if, if we were to look at America, and let's just say you're upset with America for whatever reason, and there's plenty of reasons to be upset, there's plenty of reasons to be proud, there's just all these things, but you, you're just like that, and you, and, and you could say a statement like this, you know, the problem with America today, so I say this all the time, I say the problem with America today is consumerism, okay, is that we just, we exploit workers so that we can have more and more stuff for cheap, so that we can buy it, and then we have our stuff, and we don't really care about it because we want the next thing, and so it just, it's just this perpetual cycle of, and then big corporations get lobbyists, and they give money to whichever party you're a part of, and that's just how it goes, so that's me, that's how I pray. I think the problem is consumerism, but then he takes it one step further, listen to this. We have sinned against you. America is too consumeristic. I and my father's house have sinned. See, see what happens when God sparks something in you, and it's really annoying. When you know it's God, I say, man, a problem with America, workers' wages, blah, 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 all this stuff, you know, and everything. They were just too consumeristic. And the Lord goes, are you consumeristic? And I'm like, it's not about me. It's about America. Let's just be upset at America, not me. I mean, I, of course, I'm not consumeristic. I mean, I buy stuff on Amazon, and when it shows up at the door, I forgot that I bought it. I mean, yes, at times, maybe. And every day's Christmas, because I don't remember what I ordered, and I'm like, wow, it's the tool I ordered yesterday, right? Nehemiah goes, what about me? He goes right down into the thing. I, I have a problem with... Whatever the big thing is on the circle of influence. What about me? He says, I and my father have sinned. He goes on. He, he kind of completes this posture for a while. 
And then he reminds God not only um, of, of who he is and then where his posture is, but then he goes on and he says, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Now, if we just did this when we heard of something that's, that got us outraged and upset, if we just would just at the least go into our circle of influence and go, look, I can't solve this issue on whatever it is, right? I can't solve it, but I can fast and I can pray. And I can be in a posture of, God, do you want me to do something about this? Do you have a, a next step for me? Because I, I think you've initiated this. What are you orchestrating? What God initiates, he always orchestrates. So is it, God, do you have a next step? And maybe the Lord says, no, I just want you to be alert. Just keep that in the back of your mind. Yes, there's too much consumerism in the world, and you're, you're a little consumeristic yourself. So we're going to work. That's all we're going to do for now. You're just going to work on that. Or pick, pick whatever issue is your, your big issue, okay? But that's not what happened to Nehemiah. He prayed, and he fasted, and, he, and he's going, and he felt in there something stirring. And so in his prayer, remember what I said, prayer and fasting is just giving yourself a posture of receiving, a posture of humility, a posture of, I don't have to come up with a solution right now. I just have to honor my heavenly father. I just want a reminder that I'm but dust, right? And that he has given me stewardship over just this little thing. And I'm going to focus my attention on that, on my finances, on my relationships, on my emotions, on my health. I'm going to focus on that. And then the Lord begins to go, okay, I have a vision for you to expand out just a little bit more. Watch what he says. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. He could almost say amen and go back to his work, but he doesn't. Goes on because something's stirring. What God initiates, He orchestrates. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Now, if you're reading Nehemiah for the first time, you go, you know, you're in antiquity and you go to the library and you, oh, what's this book, Nehemiah? Now, of course, it doesn't happen that way, but you pull it off and you're just reading. You're just, someone says, read the book of Nehemiah. It's so good. Oh my goodness. You'll never guess what happens at the end. And you're like, oh, I'm so happy. You would read this and you get to, and you'd, you'd ask yourself the question, which you should ask when you read the Bible. What man? <laughs> like what? Hold on. Okay, some Jews came, told you the thing. Okay, the walls were torn down. Jer Jerusalem's been ransacked. Everybody's distressed. You prayed, right? Good. Fasted. Excellent. You, you internalized it. Hey, I got the same problems. Empathetic. It's not just me against them. I got my own issues. Good for you. Good for you. And then all of a sudden, there's this man. And he says this. Now I was cupbearer to the king. And you're, as a reader, your whole mind goes, oh, whoa, he's got access to way more than just some dude named Nehemiah. 
Like there's something stirring in him right when he hears it. Like I think God has called me to something greater. Has called me to something greater. Not caused the world around me to change so that I feel better. You guys, this is following Jesus. Our hearts get broken. Maybe we get excited about something. God begins to stir something, and we go before our Heavenly Father, and we say, Lord, would you have me do something, or do you just want me to feel the weight of this lament and just lament on behalf of this, and then you move on? Maybe he, that is it. But sometimes he says, no, 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 no. You have a boss. You have a school that you work for. You have some kids you teach. You have some friends that are kind of going off the rails a little bit, and you, you notice it, and you've been laughing and kind of joking around, but you go, I don't think this is going. And all of a sudden, the Lord says, I'm calling upon you. You have a family, and things are broken and distressed and full of stress, and you're praying, God, I want my family to be brought together. And you're praying and you're fasting, and all of a sudden, it comes to you, oh, I might be the peacemaker here. I might be placed for this particular reason. You might be on the PTA. You might work for some organization. You might be somewhere, wherever you are, God has placed you. Remember, you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that you may walk in them. That's why you were created, to affect your circle of influence. He was cupbearer to the king. As the worship band comes back up, I want to read this one verse out of Isaiah. The only thing I'm asking you to do this week, oftentimes when I preach, I, I, my, I preach for life change. I don't preach for information. I, I preach for transformation. I want you to read the word of God as an instruction manual for your life to go, man, this is so powerful. How do I apply this to me? How do I affect those around me by being obedient? Because the number one thing in your circle of influence is your personal holiness. If you focused all your attention for the rest of your life just on your personal holiness, you would transform all the relationships around you. You transform your finances. You transform your health. All of it. Here's what he says. Lord, the Lord will guide you always. What God initiates, he orchestrates. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. In other words, he understands it's not that great out there. He, got, he watched CNN today. He watched Fox News. He knows it's not good, okay? But he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and he will strengthen your frame to be able to handle those things. You will be like, listen to this, a well watered garden. This is one of the things I'm most excited about the name of our church, Living Spring. Because there's one spring, it's Jesus, and then he fills us, and then we become little springs that go out. Like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. That's the vision he has for you. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some things Nehemiah did in order to bring that vision into practice. Like I said, there's no miracles in this book. So, so it's kind of cool in that 
you know, sometimes you see a miracle and you're like, God, give me a miracle. And it's like, it doesn't come. And you think, what's going on? Well, God was involved through this whole process. But it just looks like it just happened to happen. We'll talk about that. So we're going to end with one song. And we have the altar open if you want to pray. Um, uh, right now would be a great time to fill out your connection card. If you, if you want to fill that out and just say, we're here. The way we do that is you just write your name. If we have your information or like I'll just pick on uh, Janine. Uh, Janine would just say Janine Carabayo. We know who Janine is. We have all her information, but now we know she's here. So if she's not here for three weeks, we can follow up with her and say, hey, we haven't, we haven't seen her for a while. If you use the app, you would just click connect and you could just click checking in. You just go, I just, when I check in, I just go John Rittenhouse and I, I send it in. That's helpful. If you are giving this morning, you can prepare your offering however you want to do it. If you do that by a check or whatever. And we encourage everybody to give, not because I drive a Tesla, which I don't, but because we think that it frees you up. That's a great circle of influence for you. Of like, I'm not going to worry about anything else. I'm going to take care of my finances. Give to God what is His. The connection cards and the offering all go in a box in the very back. If you give online, you can do that as well. Let me pray for us. and. If you have a special need of prayer, there will be someone at the cross to pray for you as well. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that we are not responsible for terrorism, for Y2K, for the economy, for all these different things, for gang violence and all that. That is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to make sure our minds and our hearts and our lives are open to have you move. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus, and we pray that you would speak to us during this last song and while we're in a posture of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't we go ahead and stand for the blessing? We went a little bit over this morning. I apologize for that. I always try to end on time, but hey, that's your circle of concern, okay? Um, and also remember that next week is our uh, all-church meeting. If you're a member or not, if you say, I don't know if I'm a member or not, you're still invited. We're not going to have food, so we're going to try and get, get through it pretty quick um, and uh, just share what we've done over the last year, where we're going next year, hear from some of our leaders. And so, All right, now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray you would go in His strength, in His wisdom, and in His joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.